Oh, well, welcome to the Fuck Therapy Podcast. Ashley, super excited about having an incredible discussion. Now, we work in the same space. We do the similar type of things. So this is going to be awesome to dig into it deeply. You're a self-love coach, a self-directed healing practitioner. We want to know more about what that is, more about you. So welcome to the Fuck Therapy Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And yeah, I'm excited to dive into all of the things that we've, uh, you know, talked about in in our intro um, and talk about self-love coaching and self-directed healing. I'd love to share a little bit more about that. Um, I guess so to, to, to kick off. Yeah. So self-love coaching, I got into only recently, but my self-love journey started a few years ago um, when I was, yeah. So I was basically what you would call a complete mess in terms of relationships and situationships, right? So, you know, I got into this business because the journey that I had was so messy that I just needed to be able to support women with some structure on how to deal with, you know, um, being in relationships, dating, um, but also, you know, relieving, releasing some of the limiting beliefs that we have, you know, like I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy of love. So that's really why I kind of got into this business of of self-directed healing and self-love coaching. Yeah, no, that is awesome. So before we dig into those awesome parts and, and, and a bit more about your story, tell us a bit about you. Well, like I said, I um I started coaching only a couple of years ago and started the self-directed healing um process about 18 months ago, but you know, before that, my my background was actually risk management um in in the retail space. So, you know, my whole life was, you know, corporate investigations, you know, internal investigations for people who were stealing and defrauding um, one of the largest retail businesses in Australia, actually. Um, And I did that uh, for a few years here in Australia. And then I was lucky enough to be given the opportunity to go to America and live out of LA. Um, So my background was, yeah, it was a lot of operational risk. So security, internal investigations, safety, so very different to what I'm doing now. Um, but, you know, and before that, I kind of fell into that. I was I was a personal trainer before that and, you know, was always in the business of, of, of wanting to either help people or, again, just be really curious about why people do what they do. So why do you exercise? Why do you steal? Why do you, you know, need self-love? All of those things just, you know, just got my brain ticking, I guess. Okay. So clearly a very curious person. Um, I think that without question, um, without question (laughs) or or with the question why, I think it's so powerful. Um, And those that ask it really tend to um, dig in a lot deeper into their own life. So particularly when you ask it all the way through, to the end, you know, it's a type of thing. Oh, I want to, I, I want to, you know, I say to people, I say, what do you want to achieve in your life? Oh, I want a new house or I want a new car. I, I want a business. I want to, whatever it might be. And I, and I ask them the question, okay, all right, that's awesome. I go, why? <laughs> yeah. And that usually yeah. stuffs them up right there. Yeah. They're like, uh, 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 um, what, why do I want, <laughs> why do you, why do you want that new house? Um, and they don't really know. All they know is mm-hmm. they want it. Yes. But if they can answer that question, oh, I want it because, you know, I've got all these kids and da 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 and we're too too small for the place here. You go, awesome, you know, why? Hmm. Why is that important? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, get, you hear crickets. People really start to, to yeah. think, you know, and I think I, I heard something, I can't remember what it was from, but it was about asking, you know, it was the five why. So asking why five times and you'll actually get to the root cause of something or you'll get to the root of something and, and why somebody actually either wants, you know, or desires that thing. So that's super interesting that that's, yeah, where you stop people in your tracks with that too. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. They sort of sometimes, particularly in the early stages of discussions, they they really want to, you know, throw it out there as to, to what they're doing and where they want to go. <laughs> and then it's like, Arr! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, so it's beautiful. So exploring risk. I mean, there's a huge amount of stories just in that. Then then traveling to America to do the same job. Yes. That's just cool. Yeah, it was. It was really cool. And I, I feel like I need to tell you the story of how I kind of got into yeah, uh, please do. Uh, to America. Um, so you know, I I moved my up 
moved my way up through, um, you know, corporate, you know, was the regional, then into state manager and really wanted to actually run the risk operational um, department in Australia. That was always my dream. Um, but I was talking at a, actually at a function and I had, look, to be fair, I'd had a few wines by this stage. <laughs> and I, was talking, I had enough confidence at that stage because that was confidence juice for me um, to go and have a chat to the C- CFO of the company. And, you know, I approached him and told him that, you know, I was going to have his job one day. You know, yep. I was that ambitious. Yeah, they love it when you do that. Yeah, but, you know, I actually believed it myself at that point. Yeah. You know, I've always been very ambitious and very driven. So I told him I was going to take his job one day and he actually said he believed me. So we had a good old chat, but I, you know, told him a little bit more about myself and, you know, was quite passionate about wanting to take this further in risk. And, you know, it was only um, a few weeks later that he, um, you know, asked me to to come and have a chat to him him in this office and he said that he could see me kind of you know see running other countries and um anyway so it was that conversation really that kicked off this idea that yeah okay maybe she's crazy enough to run a country one day and you know obviously I was very qualified and I'd done a lot of work but you know having that conversation really pivoted I guess where I was going my trajectory in the brand that I was working in so um yeah that was so explain the importance of that conversation Well, I guess initially I thought it was just pure luck, you know, from me, uh, you know, walking over and feeling confident enough to have a conversation. But I think, you know, my my drive to just go after the things that I really want in life has always kind of kept me going. I do have this mentality of like just keep going, just keep going, you know, um, and keep trying. And uh, I think that that was what pivoted me in that moment was like, no, I'm not going to stop here. Like, because other people do settle for things in life, that doesn't mean I have to, you know, I'm here to make the best out of my life. And, you know, I'm not going to let anybody else kind of be the barrier. Um, You know, I'm the only barrier really for me. Um, I'm the only one that could stop me from actually achieving my dream. So why would I do that to myself? And what age were you when you were saying these type of things to yourself? Um, I guess I've always thought this way. Um, it's always been a bit of a mindset for me to just go after the things that I wanted to. Yep. I think I realized pretty quickly in even childhood that I was not going to be spoon fed. I wasn't going to be just handed things. You know, my mom uh, was quite good at getting us to, you know, do chores in order to get things. Like if you wanted something, you had to work a little bit for it. You know, I was never handed anything and I never really asked for anything either anything that I kind of earned I'd I'd worked for Um, and it wasn't this mentality that I had to work hard to get something it was more like you know you're not going to get things for free you do have to go after what you want you do have to speak up you do have to you know have a bit of drive and ambition about you because passively sitting around and waiting for things to come for you just wasn't going to work for me so you know it's interesting I learned that lesson early Um, I was probably six um, at the time when um, I wanted to buy my first bike. So I think I had my first little tricycle thing, yeah. but I wanted a bike. And in those days, it was the three-speed dragster with the suspension and all that sort of thing. There was a second-hand one for sale at the bike shop, and my dad said, if you want it, you have to buy it. Mm. So over the next six to eight months, every single week I would do chores I would get my 50 cents. I would go up to, I would walk, (laughs) funnily enough, in those days at the age of six from back in those days, it was like I I would probably walk five or six Ks after school on a Friday (laughs) afternoon to the shopping (laughs) centre to pay my 50 cents off and to to then walk six or seven Ks home from school Mm. by myself. Um, And I did that for months and months and months and months and months until finally the final payment and I got the bike. Yeah. The issue was when I finally got the bike, three-speed drags is in that eight months or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> they got super seafed by the, the BMX. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so when I got that bike, damn, I appreciated it. Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, I love that that spirit as, as a young entrepreneur this is you know you look at it you go oh you're just a kid wanting a bike and you go but that's that's where it all starts from yes that's where that mindset starts locking in and without doubt you know my father was really hard but that that's what made me yeah and the fact so it's good you're sort of looking at it and you're going 
and these are really good points for people to hear, is to look at it and go, what sat between you and your dreams was you. And you recognize that at, at, at a relatively young age, you're going, no, if I want to do something, I need to do it, which is 100% responsibility. Mm-hmm. Most people run from responsibility, not realizing that, no, no, that's your power you're running from. You're actually yeah. running away from your own power, the thing that's going to create shift in your life. And I love the fact that you've grabbed onto that. Yeah, and I think the other thing that, um, you know, for me personally, it's been um, a journey of overcoming self-doubt, you know, imposter syndrome, and, you know, it was never what I've learned, again, in the last few years once we get into the story um, and and a bit more of my background was, you know, it wasn't trying to push that away and overcome it to a point where it just didn't exist in my life because that was not realistic for me. It's been (laughs) doing things in spite of you know, the imposter syndrome or the self-doubt and being able to learn to live with and love that part of me because that part keeps me protected, that keeps me safe, that keeps me from feeling rejection and everything that I have felt before, you know. So it's learning to live with those things, knowing that, you know, you're going to come across and up against rejection. You're going to come up against some really hard things, but will you keep going? You know, is your drive, your ambition, you know, your desires, your dreams bigger than that you know and a lot of that is because a lot of the things that I'm trying to achieve are bigger than me you know it's about other people it's not even about me so my fears and my worries and my doubts actually don't really come into it at all um, as much or as much anymore because of that yeah absolutely I think that's hugely powerful Um, so You've got to that point where you've gone, right, I'm having this talk. I want so much more. I believe or I'm starting to believe that I that I, I can be so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then an opportunity comes to, to travel to America. Yes. Yeah, that was huge for me. Um, it's, it, I had a headache for about three days trying to figure out what I wanted to do because, again, the fears and the doubts kind of kicked in at that stage on was I actually going to be able to take care of myself and living on the other side of the world with no support system. But internally there was this screaming, yes, just you have to go, you have to do this. Um, you know, and the first two weeks that I was in America, I was lucky I got five, five or six weeks, um, a bit of a trial. You know, they sent me over there just to see what it was like. Within the first two weeks, I was in my first active shooter situation, um, you know, and I had every other reason, you know, against me to come home. You know, everyone here at home was saying, don't go, you know, don't stay there. This is crazy. You know, people have guns over there. And, you know, it didn't deter me at all. It was I'm glad I had that experience because it actually helped me in the role that I was in as a, as a risk manager because, you know, part of my role was crisis management and, yep. and incident management. Um, so I'm actually really grateful that I had that experience, but whew, that would have been a reason to come home. But so tell us more about that particular <laughs> skip on by. Oh, yeah, I know. So I was actually shopping. Uh, I was in California. I was in Los Angeles and I was um, shopping for a big jacket um, to go to New York, which it was snowing over there. Right. So I was in a shopping mall and um, the next minute I just, I, st- I was standing there with a bunch of big jackets and I started seeing all these girls running into the into the store like in a panic. And immediately I was like, okay, something's happening here. So I um, was looking around and then one of the, the girls that was working in that store went and closed the front door, locked it, spun around and shouted to everyone, there's an active shooter, run. Everyone run back, there's an active shooter. And I'm Plan like, of attack, I'm like, run. Excuse me, what is happening? So it kind of took a moment for it to register. Um and, you know, everybody just starts running. It was like something out of a movie, like full on. Everyone started trampling. It was a busy, I think it was like an H&M. It was busy, you know, Sunday afternoon. Um, so I dropped everything that I had and I started running. Well, people didn't drop everything. They just ran out. Oh, I was going to go, that's opportunistic. It's like, <laughs> like grab everything. And run. $500 worth of jackets. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I, I start running and, um, you know, we're all running towards the back and, then we get told to run outside into this alleyway and just like 
out free for all kind of thing. There wasn't really any type of system other than just run, which, you know, I learned um, in my role that that wasn't necessarily the, the quote unquote right thing to do for, for customers and, and t- team members. But yeah, so I just ran for like five blocks um, until other people stopped running. <laughs> and of course, it was two o'clock in the morning back in Australia. So I was like, who am I going to call? Who's going to help me? I was literally by myself. So that was a huge wake up call for me. I think yeah. I did that to yeah. go, you know what? You're on your own. So you finish running, you're five blocks away. Okay, so things start calming down. Mm. But you're now in a foreign country by yourself. How do you process that? Like, where do you put that information? Like, you go, I'm, I'm not even able to articulate this to my friends or anyone. I'm just, what, back in your hotel room, whatever it might be, going, huh, interesting joint. Like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. well, this is going to be fun. Um, no, I, I think I def- I'm pretty good at um, processing hard things in terms that, you know, I'm, when I feel something, I will feel it all the way through, um, which is another thing reason why I love the self-directed healing modality because it teaches people to just feel their emotions so I did I went back into the hotel room and I had a cry and you know felt all the fear and also started just letting things come through with like you know should we go home and like went through that whole process and I didn't try and stop it so I just allowed the feelings to be there I sat with them because again I didn't have anyone to talk to at that stage I could have woken my mum up at 2 a.m but she probably wouldn't have appreciated it um, and probably would have just panicked more, to be honest. So, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I did. I just sat with it. And then, you know, when I could, I had a conversation with with my friends and stuff. But the good thing is, is that I was flying out to New York the next day. So I was able to kind of get away from the yeah. whole situation for a few days at least. So that uh, really helped. Yeah. Helped. Yeah. I mean, in New York, so that's a safe place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, I felt safer in New York City than I did in Los Angeles. Um, both are beautiful, wonderful areas. But New York reminded me of Melbourne, which was where I was from. Right. Yeah. So I felt yep. at home in New York. Yeah. yeah. My son and I went to compete in the world titles in jiu-jitsu and we went to America. Mm-hmm. First stop was Las Vegas, uh, uh, Los Angeles. So we pull up on Hollywood Boulevard um, and book into the hotel. Well, we were already booked in, but we we were too early to actually get into the hotel, so we just dropped off our bags. So we've literally off the plane, you know, shuttle to the hotel, put our bags in, and then they've gone, go away for a couple of hours and then come back, you can have your room. You mm-hmm. know, so we're jet lagged and all that sort of thing. So, again, fresh. We're yeah. taking the first steps onto the street and this bloke comes out of nowhere, right? So we're just out of the hotel area, right, mm-hmm. and starts coming at us screaming, yelling like this. My son at the time was, you know, uh, he was about 40 kilo. So I've just pushed him behind me and I'm like, righto, it's on, right? (laughs) (laughs) And out comes the bloke that just served me in the concierge office. He goes, no, no, mate, I've got this, no problem, like this, walks past me and just smashes this bloke straight in the face. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like... Welcome to America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's kind of that was my welcoming too. But I mean, <laughs> excuse me. I I saw a lot of interesting things while I was over there, but I also, you know, experienced a lot of really wonderful things while I was there too. I was very very lucky with the experiences that I did yeah. have, and I was there for three years, so I got to live like a local too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that <laughs> was the first and last bad thing. Everything else was awesome. No, not really. <laughs> Um, there was there was a, a few different things that'll be part of the story. That was the um that's where I no, I mean our experience. Oh, yours. Oh, that's yeah, cool. our oh, experience. Was that mine. was we literally that was the only negative thing, other than like when we went to Vegas and you know you've got all the homeless guys there and yeah, you know, some of those stories are a bit sad, but yeah, um, we got among them. But um, anyway, um, so keep going from America. Then what? <laughs> Um, You're over in New York, settling down. So I was over in over in New York, and, and you know that was a really good trip. I just I was very lucky that I got to travel um, because our retail stores were actually uh, in a number of different states. Um, I got to experience quite a lot, um, you know, in terms of dealing with hurricanes while dealing with bushfires um, while also dealing with snowstorms. Like 
every area of America has a different weather condition going on at the same time. So you just never know what you're dealing with. But again, from that experience, you know, whenever team members used to call to, you know, let me know, because they would their first, not their first point of contact, but they would quite often call and let us know there's an active shooter in, in the mall you know, what do we need to do? I knew exactly what we needed to do. And it was everything that I did not do. So I didn't tell them to run and tell everyone else to run out the back. Um, So I think it was just really good learned experience um, from there. But I got, yeah, I got to travel around Texas, Florida, um, all over the country to experience, you know, different, different areas. And, um, you know, we built up a pretty solid um, risk area, risk department there as well. So um, wonderful experience. I was also there during the Black Lives Matter protests um i was there during covid when covid kicked off um so you know i I did i did get to experience a lot while i was yeah absolutely wonderful experiences for sure yeah 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 i mean you'd gain so much from that sort of thing you you can't you know people can read about it they can like we experience some of that stuff from afar but to be among it is just next level yeah. And I quite often would get, um, it's actually how me and my partner started talking because, you know, I would get random messages from so many different people being like, are you okay? Are you alive? Because there was always something going on in the States that was near me. Because again, I was I was right in the middle of, of everything, particularly when COVID kicked off, um, you know, and, and the Black Lives Matter um, protests. So yeah, I constantly had people reaching out and asking if I was still alive and if I was okay and if I was coping and if I should I just come home. And, you know, I, I, I oddly felt safe over there, um, you know, on my own. And I really enjoyed my own space. It was different to anything I'd ever experienced before. So, you know, I was quite happy to stay there. I thought I was going to live there forever until I met my partner who lives back here in Australia. So, right. you know. Thing, things change and you just kind of flow with things. <laughs> so, yeah. And did you meet your partner while back over here or did you meet your partner over there? So we actually, we went to high school together here in Australia and he was in um, a couple of years older than me. Um, but we started talking while I was living over in, in the United States and we had been, you know, friendly um you know, back and forth, a few messages here and there. And then we we started talking more and more. And, and then when I came home to visit, um, I actually just never went back to America. Um, I decided right. to stay. Yeah, my my work gave me an opportunity back here to to support me wanting to come back home. And, you know, it was just time. Um, yep. You know, three years was a long time for me to be away and I was ready for the next phase of my life to start with him. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. 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 So tell us more about your journey. Um, well, I guess going back in back to America, that's probably where um, a lot of my journey really started as far as how it relates to the work that I do now. Yep. So in I, I went there from uh, the start of 2018 and came back the start of 2021. Um, so the first year, 2018, was very much just kind of getting out and seeing and travelling as much as I could and getting as much of the experience and taking it in. Um uh, 2019 like kicked my ass um, and then 2020 kicked it even further. <laughs> so um, 2019 I was, you know, kind of on the dating scene but, again, not too serious because I knew I was going to come home one day. Um, but, you know, we're still looking for um, for something, you know, companionship and a friend and things like that. Um, well, I found myself in situationships all all the time and that was just being and settling for for men that just weren't super interested in who I was as a person um I really kind of started to lose a little bit more respect and love for myself um lost a lot of confidence in in that respect um and I was listening to a podcast one day this is how powerful podcasts are people but I was listening to a podcast one day and this woman said, you know, you're you're not going to get the the, the life that you desire because you feel like you're not good enough. Yep. And I was driving home <clears throat> from work and I just started bowling my eyes out because that hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And I realized on that day that I didn't believe that I was good enough, not only for relationships, but for the life that I've been trying to set myself up for all of this time, you know, and I was, I was running off that sheer ambition without the belief um, behind it. 
So that kind of spiraled me into this um, this self-love, really deep inner self-awareness journey where I was like, I've had enough of this. I really just needed to call myself out on my own bullshit, check my own behaviours, which I realised were just, you know, sabotaging any sort of hope for not just a romantic relationship but even with friendships, my career, in, in all areas of my life. This one belief had been kind of the center of it all. Mm-hmm. And so I really started this deep, deep journey on, on figuring out who I was, who I really wanted to be, but also, you know, reflecting on who I had been and what had led me to this point of knowing that I felt like I was not good enough. Yeah, yeah. So and what did you uncover as far as not feeling like, why do you think um, or why do you feel that you weren't good enough at that time? Yeah, so, I mean, quite a lot of it did go back, did start in childhood. My dad um, left when I was six. My parents separated, sorry, when I was six. Um, And I didn't really have, and still to this day, don't have a relationship with him. So that is probably where the most significant shift started for me is, you know, your dad for me is the masculine energy that's kind of teaching you about your self-worth and all of those things. And I, that was absent for me, you know, and my mum played a beautiful mum and dad role um, throughout my life. And she played both of those parts um, to the best of her ability. Um, But I think that that's kind of where it started. And then, you know, I would, be in relationships where I would accept really poor behaviour. And, again, that always went back to the fact that I felt like I was not good enough for good behaviour. You know, and it's the things you see when you're growing up. Like my mum was in and out of relationships and I would see see things within relationships and her accepting things, um, you know, that probably weren't good for her at the time as well. Um, So it was what was modelled to me in a certain degree um, as well. I'm and a I didn't believer of that. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't have a lot of, you know, my grandparents were the one relationship, you know, they've been together for 62 years, you know. Um and you know, so that that was kind of the relationship, but I didn't appreciate that until I was in my third like in in my early 30s. Yeah. You know, I didn't really look at that relationship and go, "Wow, like it take it takes a lot to be with someone for 60 odd years, you know, yeah. that commitment." So that's probably where it started. And then I think every experience after that just validated the fact that I felt like I wasn't good enough. You know, right. I would I would date or I would, you know, apply for jobs. And, you know, I, I still had a lot of really good opportunities given to me, um, you know, because I did work really hard and I tried and I was ambitious, but I never felt like I was good enough to really kind of get the things that I really wanted, which was solid relationship that was going to be a lasting partnership forever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah. where that started. And it, it, it's one of those things I look at it and go, there's belief systems that we have in our life. Um, and where the belief systems come from, we're not conscious about. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have a level of awareness around that until we start digging deep, you know. So as we're just growing through life, you know, um, and learning what life is and who we are and those sorts of things, during the course of the events of our life, we place things in particular places um, and we have belief systems that affect our perceptions, um, our perspectives and our perspectives. And mm-hmm. as a consequence of that, um, we live them out time and time and time again without really putting any thought to it because the first 300 times you do it, right, you're young, mm-hmm. you're naive, you're not, you know, it's not until you really get into the depth of things where you, where you start, but you're going, you become so good at doing things that don't serve you that you are, and you are so unaware of it that it becomes part of your everyday life because yeah. you would look at it and you go, clearly a very, very driven, successful woman, how could you have all this opportunity or and feel unworthy and you go, well, because I, I lived unworthy. Yes. You know, I look at self-worth and I say to people all the time, you know, we, we think of self-worth as a an opinion of ourselves. And you go, no, right? Self-worth is a series of actions that play out time and time again. It's yes. the actions that you take that will determine your self-worth, not the fact that many people I, I, I speak to, I go, 
And they go, oh, listen, you know, there was a time my self-worth wasn't there, but no, I'm I'm definitely, you know, a lot better in that space. I think I've come a long way. And then you listen to a few things that, you know, operate through their life and you're going, well, that, that, you're not representing yourself at all. In yeah. action, you're not there, although in thought you're a few steps up the ladder. So you, it's the action that's going to create shift in your life, not yes. the opinion of yourself. I love, love, love that you said that. And I was talking to my girlfriend this morning about action versus thought yeah. because I'm a big believer in the action over the thought as well. And it is the actions that you do take, which is another reason why I'm like, just keep going one foot in front of the other, no matter what's going on up here in, in your brain. Yeah. Just keep keep taking small steps, small steps, and, and you will continue to get there. And I think that was the I needed to shift my both my thoughts and my actions when it came to the way that I was feeling about myself and the way I saw myself in relationships in order for something to change. But that really took radical honesty with myself. Yep. I really, really had to call myself out. And people might look at that as like, oh, you're just being really harsh on yourself. I needed that. I really needed to just kick myself up the butt and be like, no, you're the one that's doing this. Your behaviour is contributing. Like if I just reflected on my past behaviour, I had cheated in relationships before. I had done terrible things. I'd, you know, even just in the lead up to relationships, the way that I had behaved was just never going to put me in a position where somebody could go, okay, yes, you know, this is something that I want in my life all the time. Yeah. So I really had to look at myself in the eye and go, what are you doing? Yeah, I, I love it. People go, you know, um, isn't that just being harsh on yourself? And you go, no, it's just truth. Yes. You know, truth is truth. People go, oh, that's that's the harsh reality. You go, okay, versus what, what's the other reality called? What's soft reality? I don't even know what that is. is that I'm pretty sure it's called bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, you go, no, yeah. there's reality and there's bullshit. Yeah. Right? There's reality and there's perception. There's reality and there's perspective. Yeah. We understand that. But you go, at the end of the day, you go, you know, I teach people to speak speak their truth. and they. But what if that hurts people? You go, it's just your truth. Mm. Right, deliver it with love and compassion and empathy and yeah. respect and integrity and all those sorts of things. But it's simply your truth, mm. you know, and let your truth be heard, yeah. you know, if to no one else by you. Yeah, well, I think that's the thing. I needed to be honest with myself before I could be really honest with another person. And, you know, it took a lot of courage. It took a lot of so, like I said, self-awareness was huge for me during this this period, um, but it was necessary to be able to move forward. And I know myself better now than I did, you know, back pre-2019. Yeah. And, you know, I've gone through the process of being able to forgive the things that I had done in the past and accept the things that I could not control or even accept the behaviours that I had because that's what I knew. That's all I knew at the time. You know, and making a conscious decision to try something different and do better um, takes a lot of guts. It takes courage, but it can be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things people will always judge themselves on if they go, you know, based on my journey, my experiences, my knowledge, my reference points, this is how I behaved in the past. And therefore, I I deem some of that behaviour poor. And mm-hmm. therefore, I'm poor. And therefore, I've done things that are unworthy. And therefore, I'm unworthy. And you look at you go, wow, that's an interesting belief system. It's like what's happened resides in the past. The past no longer exists. Yeah. How do you choose to live from this this point forth? Right. Yeah. It's like if you choose from this day forward to live a different way. Well, power to you right? You've got to learn to forgive yourself and move forward. Otherwise, you're sentencing yourself at such a young age mm-hmm. to 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 an area that you're going, I, 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 there's no such thing as forgiveness. There's no such thing as growth. It's like, how, how do you learn when you're not taught, when you go, my reference points are, and you go, and you do some of these things, you know, like people look and they say, oh, Jamie, where do we find a guy like you? And I go, right? You recognize something in me now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, but how do you think I got here? Yeah. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> I had to travel through a lot of mistakes yeah. in order to get here. I had to travel through a lot of sin. I had to travel yeah. through times where I was hurt by women and then I chose to hurt women and yeah. do all those things to get to a place where I go, no, it was me I needed yeah. to fix, not women. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And, you know, I... I used to believe that, you know, all men were assholes. That was a genuine belief yeah. system of mine. And, you know, I think uh, it was through some of that work, but also the self-directed healing, which works specifically on getting to the root cause of these issues that we might have, which is your belief system and your mindsets and things like that. But it simultaneously works on all aspects so that you can make these deep shifts within your belief system. So I don't have those beliefs anymore. I don't have the beliefs that I'm not good enough anymore. Yeah. Do I have other beliefs? Yeah. As soon as I heal something, shit, something else comes up for me, to, you know, to me to heal or I'm triggered, you know, mum's in town this weekend. So I get triggered, you know, from different relationships. It, it happens that the things that I have worked on are no longer there for me in the same way that they were. And if I do get triggered by something, you know, I am, capable and able to work through that um, in a really healthy way with healthy resources, you know, not by numbing it out and things like that to be able to move through that um, yeah. onto the other side, which, again, you know, takes you out of past, you know, into the present moment. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you were dating people, kicking around, you know, starting to feel worse and worse. Mm -hmm. Keep going from there. <laughs> And it was actually um, someone who I'd become friends with who I had dated previously where I kind of talked to him, you know, from a from a male's perspective and, you know, I said, let's let's have a real kind of honest conversation as well. Like I see these, you know, a few things that I did, um, you know, that caused this, you know, situationship to not progress any further. You know, I'm aware of that. And, you know, we had good conversations and he was, he kind of acted like a bit of a mirror in also sharing some things and also asking me questions like, why do you want to be in a relationship? And it was that why. And I was like, oh, you know, it stopped me. But why do you want to be in a relationship? Okay. You want a companion, but why? So, you know, again, just got really deep on the reason why I wanted a relationship in the first place. And that's when I backed right off and started working more on myself. So, you know, I started working on the relationship that I have with myself. So it was spending more time alone intentionally, doing things and finding the things that really bring me joy, finding a self kind of care routine that, you know, wasn't just the things, the fluffy things that you see all over social media, like bubble baths and face masks. It was like, no, how do you practically take care of yourself? Okay, let's let's get a budget in place just for you and really start to live life on my own um, because it was just me at that time, as opposed to trying to chase and find things outside of me that were not going to fulfill me. So I, I chose to try and fulfill that myself, um, you know, and I found a lot of different things that I, you know, used to enjoy that I enjoyed doing again and, you know, kind of going back to almost like I was the state, like I was in childhood, um, but also in the process was healing and learning and taking more information in. So it was quite a unlearning and relearning process at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. So um, that shifted. And then, um, you know, I, I ended up finding my relationship a little bit later, but, you know, 2020 came along and I'd been doing a lot of healing and I was kind of feeling a lot better about myself. And, you know, the word that I would use to describe myself then was like solid. You know, I felt really yep. solid in who I was and where I was headed and what I wanted, really understood my needs. <clears throat> and then I was booking a, a, a trip up to Yosemite um, National Park. I'd never been there before and I was so excited There'd been bushfires around that time, so I was a little bit, you know, cautious but decided, no, nah, I'm going to go anyway. Um, the first night that I was up there, I was sitting at the bar just, you know, having something to eat and, you know, uh, the bartender offered for me to try a couple of different cocktails, so I was trying that. Again, I was there alone, like I travelled alone. I took myself out on dates, so it wasn't uncommon for me to sit there and just make conversation with anyone, you know, yeah. I'm happy to chat to anyone. Um, and... That was at about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I have no memory between that and 3.30 the next morning. Right. So I wake up the next morning in my hotel room um, and 
you know, everything in the room kind of looked different. Clothes were kind of thrown around everywhere and something just felt wrong. I felt like I'd been hit by a bus um, but knew that I'd only actually had, I think it was three drinks that I had. Um, Knew something was just wrong. And so I I actually called one of my best girlfriends back home and, again, it was a ridiculous time in, in the morning for her. And I just started crying. I said, something's happened. Something really bad has happened. I don't know what it is, but my body is just telling me that something's not right. And I'm really glad that I trusted that because my mind was like, nah, just you probably drank too much. Just go back to sleep, you know. Um, Anyway, so from that point, she kind of um, told me that I should go and speak to somebody about it. Um, And, you know, it took me a couple of hours because I was, again, trying to talk myself out of it. But then I found the bartender's hat. I noticed the bartender's hat that was wedged between the bed and the bedside table. Um, So, again, knew something was really, really wrong. Um, Anyway, I ended up reporting it to the manager that something had happened. I wasn't really sure what. Um, And they actually recommended that I went down to the hospital and and get checked out um, and and see what happened from there. Uh, went down and did all that and the um, all of the testing kind of confirmed that, yeah, I'd, I'd been a victim of, of a sexual assault. Yep. Um, you know, I, again, the, the bartender was about 50 to 60 years old, wasn't someone I was kind of interested in. I wasn't, I didn't go to the, on that trip for any other reason but to go and see the beautiful scenery. Yep. Um, so that's, that's when a, a lot changed for me as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's horrific. Mm. That's horrific. So, so now you're still in Yosemite, is that? Yeah, right? I was still in Yosemite, so northern Northern California. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah, again there on, on my own right. at the hospital. Detectives started to come through and ask questions in the middle of me, kind of, you know, being tested for this, that, and the other, and um, so we started that process. Um, and I had to stay up there for a couple of days um, while the detectives still had more information they wanted to gather and there were still other things from like medications from the hospital I needed to, you know, wait around for and just bits and pieces um, before I was allowed to kind of go home. Um, and, yeah, then then I got home, I think it was about four or five days later um, and had to start the, the healing process all over again. Yeah. So. Yeah. What were the. What was the questioning like? Um, it was as I expected, to be honest, because, you know, I, I had done in my risk role, a lot of what I did was interviewing um, other people for, you know, again, it was different. It was for theft and fraud, but the interviewing process was quite similar, yep. you know, and they're just for trying to find out the facts as well. Um, it was very difficult for me, though, because I didn't have memory of it. Yeah. of the actual event itself. I had very, very clear before and after. Um, and, you know, there was a suspected, they suspected that there had been a drugging, although, you know, that wasn't necessarily found in my system. So it was very challenging to be able to give them the whole truth and the whole picture because I didn't have it. Yeah. Um, now this person, you know, took off immediately um, and hasn't necessarily cooperated with any questioning two years on, by the way. But um, so that was really it was just really challenging to be sitting there and being, you know, asked a lot of questions whilst being tested on uh, different things or, you know, I think it was about six hours I was there. Wow. Yeah. So it was very intense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So process that by yourself again. Mm-hmm. Now what does that do? So the processing of that was, you know, I, I found a therapist and I was doing healing and, you know, that sort of thing. And that I, it's funny, though, to, to backtrack just a, a split second. I knew while I was sitting in the hospital getting questioned and talking to people that I was going to do something, you know, with this information, with this event that's happened. And, you know, immediately I thought, you know, this process is horrible and I want to help other people through it one day. You know, I don't want people to feel alone like I did. Um, so I, I knew at that moment that it was going to be quite powerful for some other reason. And, you know, I don't want to say that this type of thing happens for a reason because I think that, that everybody's experience is very different. Not everybody 
turns pain into power or wants to or has any desire to do that. But for me, it was something that I thought, okay, I'm I'm going to use this one day to be able to help a lot of people. Um, but anyway, I was I'd started the the healing process six weeks after that event, though. Um, my best friend uh, back here in Australia, who had been struggling with cancer, passed away. Oh my God. So six weeks later, you know, I was still trying to process yeah. this event, um, and that happened. I couldn't get back for the funeral because of COVID, so I was kind of stuck. Very, very traumatic time in my life. Very deep grief, loneliness. Yeah. Um, but I also, again, knew that I was strong and knew that I had resilience on my side and knew that I was going to be able to get through this and be okay. Yep. Um, not just okay, but, again, be able to still have a really good life. You know, I, there were moments where I thought, is this going to change me fundamentally, you know, from a happy-go-lucky kind of positive person? And I don't believe it did. There are definitely periods of, you know, since since then that have been hard and I've required more healing. But, um, yeah, I don't think it changed who I was as a person yeah. and didn't change my beliefs and my desires, you know, and my goals that I have for my life. Which is so, incredible. Yeah. It really is remarkable. Um, you know, I look at it and go, these events, um, if you have, um, it, it depends on how you process an event like that. You know, you look at it and you're going, um, and each to their own the way they process, you know, mm. to the reference points that they have, um, to the resilience and courage and strength and background that they had prior to it, to the way in which it does create shift moving forward. But it's one of those things where the reality is, um, there are so many things that grow out of those negative times. So through that, resilience is building. Through that, courage and bravery is building. Um, so it's like, but but it, to your core, and probably lucky you'd done that work first, see, character is what resides at the centre core of your consciousness and is your true identifier. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things when you've got that to hang on to, and it's why I lead people to character, is because you realise through an event like this, it doesn't identify you. No. Uh, it, it is an event and it is traumatic and horrific and all those things, but it doesn't, you know, identify you. And it's yeah. one of those things where I look at it and go, and it's why I asked about the questioning because for those that um, where the event um, is so traumatizing that the series of questions is often more of a trigger toward their shame and guilt than the mm -hmm. event itself in the sense that the questioning, you know, mm -hmm. what were you wearing? What were you saying? Were you, were you, you know, mm -hmm. all this potential could be where what they're trying to do is grab evidence and information, but to the person receiving it, it is so detrimental mm -hmm. to the impact. And then, then they start owning that. I must have been responsible at some level. Yes, yes, and I think there's a couple of points that you touched on there as far as um, the healing and the work that I'd done beforehand. I'll talk about that in a moment. But I, I'm not sure if it's because I'd had experience in interviewing that I kind of understood why they were doing that and what they were trying to get at and that I was able to separate myself from, you know, any shame. Like I felt deep, deep shame and and. Um, blame all of those emotions I have I've been working through it and I still get them sometimes today but you know I think during that process for me I was just so I wanted to just cooperate and do anything that I could to give them every bit of information so that they could do the most thorough investigation that they could do so I kind of switched off a little bit from my own emotions um you know which is very strange to do in that circumstance upon reflection but to just give them everything that I could so that they could just do what they needed to do. You know, they had a job to do. I didn't believe that their job was to make me feel that way. And I don't know if it's because I had that kind of mindset that I just was able to answer the questions, yeah. you know, um, at no point did I feel judged. And I also think that it kind of depends on the people that are kind of questioning you. The first detective that got there, 
you know, when I was telling him the story, he said, I believe you. And that, that one sentence, yeah. I just got goosebumps. That one sentence changed everything. Yeah. If he had come in and, you know, asked me a different line of questioning, perhaps to your point, maybe it would have made me retreat, withdraw and and not, and not want to, I guess, have the, the tenacity I have today to still kind of go ahead with the, the healing and the work and the things that I do. So that could make a huge difference. But that one sentence, I believe you, changed everything for me. That's powerful. Very, very powerful. I've done TikToks just on that. Yeah. Saying to people, reaching out to people that have suffered, um, that I believe you. Let's start mm-hmm. there. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the reaction you get from that one comment. It's huge. It's so huge. Absolutely huge. Yeah. Because that's our biggest fear when, you know, when you're going to report it is that you're not going to be believed. Yeah. And the line of questioning almost justifies and and proves it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And then just um, on the point that you mentioned on the work that I'd done um, beforehand, it really did help me all the healing and the the work that I had done on my own self-awareness and getting to know myself and, you know, learning more about who I was and feeling solid beforehand taught me to also um, lean into some of the pain that I was experiencing because I knew that if I did this work that it would help me, not hinder me. So yeah. I was able to really dive deeply into like let's let's go in and get this out. Let's go in and feel this shame and feel this grief and all the things that I was feeling because I knew that there was a better way of being able to live with this experience instead of letting it run my life, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I've never met anyone yet that has been out of outrun trauma. Mm. Just doesn't happen. No, me either. <laughs> it's a time I, I was working with a 72-year-old woman, yeah. you know, who had <laughs> suffered from childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and there it was. At 72, it was still there because, you know, she tried to outrun it. In other words, she just tried to suppress it. Yes. It was the only way she knew how to deal with it, kept on going alive, too busy, these things, that thing, all this other stuff sort of happened, replicated traumas, you know, relationships and all those sorts of things. And at 72, when she was running through my program, I said, I've got to tell you, I said, I love you, you know, (laughs) and she's like, well, I'm not dead yet. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. And that's that's it, you know, you're you're never too too old to work through anything either. I believe that, you know, you don't have to accept that. Your life has been the way it's been and it can't be any different. You know, again, that's a that's a choice right there. 100%. It's a belief system. You look at it and you go, yeah. you know, immediately. I have people saying, oh, listen, it's been 30 years for me um, and they've resided themselves to X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And you're going and, and are, you, are you living that out? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I've, I've, what, you've decided to. Yes. Well, yeah, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're always right. At the moment, you're believing that you can't recover from this. And guess what? You're you're doing a great job. You know, however, would you like a different outcome? Yes. You know, it's an interesting thing to start putting on paper. You know. Um, so how do you process from there? From the the grief and the the, the assault and all, yeah. yeah. So because I mean, you've now, you know, you've you've done a whole lot since then. Yeah, I have. I, I I've done so much that I became a practitioner in the modality yeah. that I use. I yeah. believe. In so it talk so to us about that. Give us a, a deeper understanding of that. Yes. Well, I mean, the the very first time I had the the self directed healing, it was with the the CEO and the founder of the modality, Claire Besley, and she. Um, was working with me on, um, you know, childhood trauma, but also, you know, specific to relationships as well. And, you know, the the first session that I had just, it was absolutely mind-blowing, transformational at a cellular level. Again, we worked on the I'm not worthy and I'm not good enough beliefs. And, you know, since then I haven't necessarily had those beliefs. You know, it just, it, it kind of, really cleared them and released them because we got to the root cause of of some of those as well. So um, self-directed healing includes um, some inner child work as well. So you do your emotional processing um, as an adult, as as who you are today, um, and we get to the root cause of whatever you might be experiencing. So for me, um, you know, it was anxiety. It was fear around relationships at that point. And then during the assault, it was fear again, you know, of, you know, I I had to do a healing because I couldn't even... um, I didn't feel safe in my own house. 
Yeah. You know, I couldn't even take a shower without feeling like someone was going to come in and attack me. And like, it was really full on. Um, but, you know, that works with the the unconscious beliefs and the conscious beliefs that you do have, but that they're stored in the body. So instead of just talking it through like you would normally in, in therapy or, or, um, or any of those types, it's, it's, it's both. So you're talking about the belief that you've got and you're speaking it into existence, but you're also feeling it and anchoring where it is in your body uh, because that's where your trauma is stored, right? I didn't know. I didn't remember. I didn't know about the assault. I don't have a memory of that, but my body for sure as hell knew something was wrong. Yeah. So that's where I process it in the body because that's where the trauma was stored. And then once it's released naturally, because you can only hold an emotion at its peak for, I think they say about 90 seconds, typically, yeah. let's say two minutes, you hold an emotion, your fear at its peak for 90 seconds, two minutes, it naturally has nowhere else to go but release. Yeah. And then once it's kind of released, it's not there in the body, you scan your body and it's not there anymore. So you're not only releasing it from a, a mental, but it's emotional, physical, energetic. Yeah. And it works on all aspects of you. It's really powerful stuff. Yeah. yeah. So. And what was the duration of that process? So the actual, um, like one session um, would, would last usually only um, 90 minutes. Yep. Um, but, you know, with, with my uh, trauma I've done a few sessions, you know, probably five or six sessions around the the assault specifically. Um, it also depends on how quickly people will be open and willing to go really deep into their emotions as well. Yep. Um, but, you know, most of the clients that I have seen have have come back for four or five sessions. I have regular sessions that I um, re regular clients I see um, each week and they've been with me for a few months and someone could come for one session and get what they need and move on. Yeah. So it really just varies, um, you know, on the type of work that you want to be doing, how deep you want to be going, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I find um, working with clients, um, you know, I, I've got I've got my outliers, right, where you look at it and I dealt with a woman who was um, mid-30s, um, or in fact, probably young 30s, early 30s, um, who was sexually assaulted mm -hmm. um, in her own home by someone that she knew um, and her son witnessed the end part of it. Mm -hmm. And she happened to um, see me go live and then reach out to me. We booked a session for the next day. And before she, uh, before, so she saw me, we spoke for about 45 minutes and then she was having an interview with the police. Mm. So it was literally like in the immediate yeah. type of situation. Wish I had recorded it. <laughs> because in that 45 minutes, completely, utterly spun everything around. Mm. Um, and she and she was able to process process in that time, um, and everything, all the guilt, the sh everything was gone. Mm. You know, she was strong. She and when I made contact, you know, after that, and and you know, many months after that, no, nah, she she was flying completely. Yeah. But that's the outlier. <laughs> that's the absolute <laughs> outlier where you just sort of go. I wish I could bottle that shit up. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like, How do we get that to everyone? Like people, I can have this discussion, but what did you just say just then? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I work so intuitively that I couldn't yeah, do yeah. what I it's, said two minutes ago. You know, But it was one of those ones where I go, if I could bottle that stuff up, that would have been gold. Yeah. Um, but it is. It, it's, it's when they're able to grab onto whatever process and let it go, mm doesn't matter how long, doesn't matter what it is. Once it's let go, it's let go. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think once it's felt once it's felt fully, you can just like depending on what you're working with, you can move on. It doesn't need to, again, run your life or run your day even. You know, there's I'm so 
I guess I've been doing this uh, for other people, but for myself for, you know, nearly two years now, but, you know, I can very quickly move through any emotion and I don't try and push it away. Yep. Um, and I can just move on with my day after feeling really intense. And sometimes a panic attack might come on. You know, I don't get them often, but, you know, if that does come on, I work through it and I can I can move on, move on to the next part of my day without it affecting the whole day, if that yep. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's why I'd like to work with clients one-on-one in that way. But I also include it into some of my self-love programs because I think you need to be not just kind of learning you know, what you need to be doing and working on your goals and that sort of thing. But you also need to be unlearning using that technique as well. So that's the unlearning piece of it, Yeah, 100%. Is, you know, shifting the belief system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Critical. So um, what we'll do is we will put um, your details in the comments. So if anyone wants to reach out to you, if anyone wants to understand more about what you do, have a discussion, um, perhaps work with you, um, we'll put your details um, in the, the the comments uh, area there or the, the, the paragraph before the, the podcast so people can get access to you. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much information here that we could go through, but I think for this episode, that is a a good introduction as to what's what. Um, is there anything you would like to finish off with so people can walk away with that one thing? Uh, I think the probably the most important thing from me is you know, have have those honest conversations with yourself and don't shy away from it. Yep. Um, you know, if you're judging yourself, get curious with that, you know, um, similar to how you would want to be, you know, reaching out and talking to somebody else and getting their feedback, get your own feedback, you know, yeah. and start to start to really dig into who you are, what you really want for you and not for anybody else, not for society, not for anything else. Just radical, um, honest conversations with yourself is a really good place to start. If you're thinking of healing, going on a self-love journey, going on an inwards journey, I think that would be the best place to start. Absolutely. Um, and without question, it's 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 one of those things where we often say in this space, once you start that journey, um, it's going to impact and create significant shift in every single aspect of your life. Mm-hmm. The foundation of you, your world, your existence, you know, is the relationship that you have with you. And when yeah. you grow that relationship with you, life does take an, an amazing spin for the better. Everything changes. Everything everything changes. Um, So without doubt, we're all about self-love. We're all about self-worth. We're all about um, authentic discussion and being truthful with oneself. So, you know, without doubt, that is the message of this podcast. Um, Thank you so much, Ashley, for, for, for your vulnerability, for your experience, for, you know, running us through um, just an amazing journey, amazing story. Um, And I think we can do a little bit more, um, coming up with some other other stuff. So watch this space. So um, to everyone, whether you believe you can or you can't, you are always right. Believe that you can. That's a message that came through here loud and clear. Love yourself. Trust yourself. Respect yourself. Speak your truth with peaceful confidence. You're incredible. Stay strong. <laughs>